0: everybody! Welcome to Chelsea Mic'd Up. If I'm fired up, if you can hear it in my voice, it's not just because I know I have a good episode in store for you. You're not going to want to miss her interview with Luis Miguel Echegaray. It's a fun name to say and it's a fun interview to listen to. But... It was a London derby for the women's team. We gotta cover this match because it was a miraculous point secured. Chelsea continue their unprecedented, unbeaten run in the women's Super League. You're not gonna wanna miss this episode, people. I promise you, I complain about the international break. We preview a match against Newcastle that I'm terrified about. All that and more. Vamos. Chris Whittingham, my neutral observer friend. As you know, we've been very supportive of the women's team. And in all our breakdowns, it's escaped our attention to maybe tell the audience that Chelsea right now their women's team is in the midst of a 27 match unbeaten streak. In the Super League. Look, this was an ugly London Derby that we're about to break down here against Arsenal, but those are the two most prolific championship sides in the women's super league, and you would expect fireworks, and what we got was one ugly affair.
1: <laughs> yeah, a tactical battle. I always I always love when a bad game turns into a tactical battle fairly quickly, but this game didn't really spring to life until we had a double doink situation. We're familiar with those in American football, but I have never seen crossbar loop into the air crossbar again and then Chelsea get away with it that was kind of like the first moment I was like alright we're in a London Derby but I think it's kind of funny that you mentioned that it was a kind of ugly London Derby I mean how many times have we used to seeing that with the men's team and that, that language is so familiar
0: well I was reading this match set the all time record for fewest shots on target in the women's super league a bunch of matches are tied with one shot on target Chelsea actually end up getting a point without having a shot on target but let's talk about Pernille Harder who arguably is the best women's attacking player in the world right now and yes own goal lucky I mean it's not exactly Thibaut Courtois in the opposing net <laughs> but I want to talk about the run that Harder made because Emma Hayes even gave voice to this in the post-match interview that while it was lucky to go in it was purely created by the brilliant run from Pernille Harder who is among the world's best
1: And normally a player that would play as a center forward, right? Chelsea is asking some players to play out of position. I mean, they basically have four strikers right now that can lead the line, and really only as many as two can do so at any one given time. Pernu Harder has been asked, can you play out on the wing and still contribute to the incredible pressing? Like, part of what made the game ugly was the pressing from Chelsea and trying to disrupt Arsenal playing from out the back, and Harder is constantly doing this hard work And she was really chasing the game. As you said, made a great run and has to get there and ahead of the byline to get the cross away, gets a bit of luck. It comes uh, off the Arsenal defender and loops in. But I think that moment, if you're to attribute it to Harder's work in the game I think it kind of perfectly encapsulate what was a full 90 minute performance of running from her
0: I think the point was deserved because I thought Chelsea was maybe the better team in the first 20 minutes then Arsenal started taking a stranglehold of the game and then after Arsenal went up 1-0 in the 27 match on beaten streak was in jeopardy Chelsea really poured it on and could have you could make an argument that they could have gotten all three points here yep. I know harder the one good moment that G probably had all game the midfield was not very good Shout out to Arsenal because they did a really good job on Leopolds and G. G had a one really nice cross to Harder around minute 74 75. That was a nice little chance that Chelsea missed. And then Sam Kerr misses an opportunity late to actually steal all three points and be really one of the great wins in the women's super league for Chelsea. I'm really impressed, and I know she's a friend of the show, and we're a bit in the tank for her. M-Dog, Millie Bright. I mean, she's, by all accounts, she's gotten better year over year. I'm not going to pretend like I've watched the entire growth and development of her career, but even within this season, she's become a two-footed player. You trust her with the ball at the feet. Emma Hayes is really asking a lot of these players. You can see M-Dog is comfortable with it. Berger, the goalkeeper, maybe not so much. (laughs) Not so comfortable leaving her box, and we even saw with a brilliant counter that she started a couple of weeks ago off a throw. It seems as though she prefers to not have the ball at the feet, but Emma Hayes is asking a lot of these players maybe go out of the comfort zone, and Millie Bright is getting better and better with each match.
1: Well, and the interesting thing is in reading about, so she picks up an injury late on the game, and it might have actually affected her in defensive Vivian Miedema on the Arsenal goal, but the one thing that you read is, yeah, she might've picked up an injury, but everyone there in the stadium knew that she was gonna keep on playing, right? She just has this amount of toughness and grit. And the fact that it was kind of like not even a doubt that she would carry on, I think shows that other aspect. But as you said, it seems like really every big team in the women's Super League, I'd say maybe Manchester United being the exception, are trying to play the ball out of the back, passing, and everyone's got to be comfortable with the ball at their feet. I mean, Manchester City was caught this week and allowed Manchester United to route back into the game because Lucy Bronze, one of the best players in the world, made a mistake, right? You, you have to be perfect when you're playing in that area of the pitch, and Millie Bright, among many others, are, are among the players for Chelsea who do so.
0: Yeah, I love the centre-back pairing for the women's team. Much like the men's centre-back pairing is finding its footing, and getting better week-to-week. It also seems that's the case for Chelsea women's side, by the way, shout out to NBC and the women's super league for coming up with this brilliant TV schedule. You had two mega matches that were on the NBC sports app over here in the United States. I'm a little conflicted because Tobin, he scores and I'm fizz pumping because I'm wearing my American hat. And then I got to realize what it does to the, uh, the women's super league, but pretty much a wash for the weekend. That's actually when you take into account Chelsea's match in hand, one win gets them to the top of the table a decent weekend especially when you had to come back from behind Chris
1: yeah I mean that Manchester City result if Manchester City would have come from behind or actually not come from behind but hang on to their 2-0 lead they dominated Manchester United that salvaging of a point was really big for Manchester United again Chelsea with the game in hand they're three points behind Man United if they win that game in hand when the game is replayed they'll be right into the top of the table but I think that that, that result going their way could have been huge but as you said massive weekend for the women's Super League kind of taking advantage of the men's game being off in those traditional windows so let's give not only our domestic tv partners but our international tv partners a chance to showcase this league and i think if you watch this game even again a shortage of shots on target the quality of the play is exceptional i thought the manchester derby was really fun obviously the london derby was really fun and uh and chelsea are right in that title picture at the end of it i'm not gonna
0: say it was really fun it was uh competitive <laughs> those were some meaty tackles in that first yeah. half i was really sort of blown away by how physical that is. look london derby it trans. Translates to the women's game too. I think the women's Super League is really well positioned here in the United States because the there's brand recognition here, Chris. These are clubs that a lot of soccer fans in this country already identify with. and, And women's soccer, while on the international level here, has been a smashing success. The leagues, it's a sorted history. There's not a lot of legacy clubs in the women's professional ranks here in the United States, so to have some of these recognizable players go to recognizable clubs, I think the Women's Super League here is very poised to make a quick return on its investment because a lot of the world's greatest players are flocking there now.
1: And I think that brand thing is is massive because it is not that massive a leap. Obviously, we started this podcast and we had the desire to cover the women's team. We had a couple of guests on last year and we did so. But when the club kind of said to us before the season, "Hey, we want to kind of make this a bigger priority," we're like, "Yeah, sure." Like it's not that much of a logical leap for a fan of Chelsea to then want to be a fan of Chelsea women, right? It's just, it's not, you're already a fan of this team of this low. Why not support it in the women's game? And I think we've seen, you know, a growth of, as you said, recognizable brands and players and names uh, that uh, combine with this influx of talent. I mean, it makes complete sense that there's kind of this surge in support.
0: Well, in our collaboration with the club, because you kind of framed it as though the club's telling us you have to talk about this. No. I mean, we've been willing and, and able course, to talk yeah. about this and wanting to. I think the issue for most American fans trying to get into the women's Super league is accessibility and we're finally addressing that right now so kudos to the women's super league and and broadcast partners like NBC because look this is a down payment this is an investment this is seed money for something that can blow up and i'm really happy that NBC stepped up to the plate because i want to be able to follow this team week to week on the women's side and if the women's super league keeps coming up with brilliant scheduling patterns to take advantage of the international break which is demon spawn I hate it. I hate the international break. It doesn't make any sense to me during a global pandemic to have an international break. But if there are international breaks on the men's side, you give me mega matchups like you did. A Manchester Derby and a London Derby for the most impressive sides in the Women's Super League. And you can see right now, clubs like Manchester United, a club like Tottenham Hotspur bringing in Alex Morgan. You really see that, hey, there's a sustainable business model here. And thankfully, we support a club Well, you're the neutral observer I support a club that was really at the forefront of making this a chief investment and the change in the women's game and you have the likes of Sam Kerr having to come on at halftime as a sub Sam Kerr in the eyes of many many would have pointed to her and said that's the best women's player in the world and she can't crack the starting 11 for a London Derby. Let's say with Sam Kerr for a little bit here, Chris, because once again, another missed opportunity. This seems to be a running theme throughout the year. When she scores, she scores in bunches, but there's really so many coals left on the table for Sam Kerr. She even seemed a little bit more comfortable last year in a brief stint with Chelsea before the shutdown. What do you make of what's happening to one of the world's greatest scorers?
1: Well, I think it's kind of that heat of competition, right? When you're playing in Chicago Red Stars and the NWSL team, there is just not the same level of competition you're going to have that center forward position so i do kind of wonder when you've spent kind of your whole life as the leader of australia the leader of whatever club team you're on to all of a sudden go into a very competitive environment you have to find a measure of clinicality i have always been a believer that things will start to turn for sam kerr again uh, and i still do i mean it's been what it's only seven games this season a few games another competition like it's still a pretty small sample but you know i think what's being asked of of chelsea right now is they want to compete to win the UEFA Women's Champions League and and to beat the you know World Giants Leon in that competition. And if you get to a Champions League semifinal and you're away in Leon and a chance comes to Sam Kerr, she's gotta put it away. So I think that measure of clinicality does have to come over the course of the season. I'm still a believer that it will happen.
0: Well, another thing that she's probably facing that she's never had to before, after a few years of establishing herself as one of the game's greats, is she's playing out of position oftentimes here. She's usually locked in into you know, that starting eleven in one position. But with what happens at the training grounds over at Chelsea, Emma Hayes requires, look, if you want to get out there, you may not have to be in your natural position for us to make this work. And credit to Sam Kerr. She's still creating. She's actually turned into quite the the creator. And Perneal Harder right now might be the glorified goal scorer on this club. And we're going to see how Sam Kerr responds. I think ultimately winning is a great cure-all. Look, you're not going to face Arsenal every week. Right, we've talked about how top-heavy the Women's Super League is right now. So, G and Loopholes in this match, they went up against something that they're probably not going to go up against for many of the other matches left on their schedule. It's great. It's a great problem to have to be able to turn to your bench and see Sam Kerr right there and say, hey, it's not really working out for G and Leopold's right now. Why don't you go in there and see if you can make something happen? That's the difference between, say... Bristol City, and Chelsea right now in the Women's Super League. But as rising tide lifts all boats, it's going to be a lot more difficult. So go ahead and become one of those glorified, prestigious clubs in the Women's Super League. As you have been, reigning champions and all, really lock this in. Because you want to be the new Lyon. You want to be the next Lyon. You want to be that destination club they're as well
1: positioned as any totally and it's really you have to almost have a world all-star team in order to compete at that level because that's what leon has and i mean they had megan Rapino for a bit like they've you know built their reputation on we'll go to the bench and bring on you know a hundred times capped international superstar and we'll go and win the champions league year in and year out and that's what chelsea i think emma hayes kind of recognized it probably must have gone to the hierarchy at the club and be like hey If we want to be this, and I know, you know, knowing Roman Abramovich's ambition, he would want to be, this is what we have to be able to, not not just at start but bring off the bench. And I think as well, real credit to Emma Hayes for being able to make such an attacking sub, taking on loopholes, a good number eight in in central midfield, throw on another striker and be able to play with a number 10 in G, basically three strikers in England, Kerr, and Harder, and have Aaron Cuthbert out there, and still manage to maintain a solid shape, and they didn't look vulnerable at the back. They're pressing from the front. It requires so much, by the way, of the forwards. I think that might be another part of the Sam Kerr thing, is that she, like the forwards do a ton of Defensive work. But at the same time, the ability to maintain a balance off so much in attack uh, is really impressive.
0: I don't think we've remotely seen the ceiling of this Chelsea women's side. And to be able to not drop any results outside of the FA Cup loss to Everton. It's pretty impressive. That's a really good point. It reminded me of an ugly playoff game. You find a way to get a point when you don't have a shot on target. When you have an ugly NHL playoff game, just put it in front of net. See if someone gets a (laughs) a stick to it. Maybe something ugly happens, and and you end up leveling, and, and that's exactly what happened. Remember, Chelsea have a match in hand. If they win that match, they soar to the top of the table, especially considering the goal differential they're going to be putting up this season. So a massive drop result for Arsenal. Unfortunate for them because that would have been not only a feather in the cap, a London is red bragging right uh, deal on the message boards that they could have had, but now Chelsea seem quite primed to really grab this women's Super League by the
1: horns. Get the latest Chelsea news straight to your phone. Download the FitStand app the official Chelsea app.
0: Chris, I'm going to let you do the intro here for our next guest because... (laughs) He's got a name that I know you want to share your flair for the Dramatic with the audience when it comes to name-calling. It's a play-by-play voice in you. You want to nail this one. Go ahead. Hype up our next guest, who's also making his Chelsea mic'd-up debut.
1: Luis Miguel Echegaray is joining us from CBS Sports, the host of the Que Golazo pod. I'm, like, I'm going all the way, Luis Miguel. I get made fun of on the show because I like pronouncing names with the flair that, of which they deserve. But noted Aston Villa fan and also covers the Champions League America any other things for CBS Sports. Thanks for joining us, man.
2: You know what? Say that with pride, baby. Every time you want to, like, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Alejandro Domínguez, Carado. Say whatever you want. It's all about the love, baby. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Uh, uh, I'm humbled. I'm humbled. I, I love what you guys do, and it's really great to be here.
0: Luis, thank you so much for joining us. Chris mentioned in the intro, Asin Villa, and let's start with Tammy Abraham, a, a player that shares history with obviously Chelsea now, and is alone spell over at Villa. Obviously, I'm sure you miss him in a Villa uniform, although, you know, you've had some good production out of your goal scorers this year over at Aston Villa. What can you tell us about Tammy Abraham and how we were just sort of marveling at how he's sort of fit himself into this role, stepping up to the challenge, and now Frank Lampard has a real difficult decision as to whether or not to take him off the field as some of these other players get healthy.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Listen, Tammy Abraham is a really interesting story because it's funny, before Villa, right, he was also uh, playing for bristol city and he was doing his loan thing over there and it's funny villa fans kind of echoed what bristol city fans would say about him which is like when he plays, when he enters the pitch, it's, it's as if he's like an academy player from that club itself. He just gave it his absolute all. For Villa, I can speak to you that he was a vital part uh, in making sure that Villa got back promoted to the Premier League from the championship. You know, he, he, he was, again, uh, one of these players that really played the lone striker, you know, being supported right by El Ghazi on one side, Jack Grealish on the other one you know, he holds the ball really well. But what people really uh, saw a lot of in the championship from Tammy was that he's so good when it comes to his game on the ground. Like his feet control is just for somebody that tall and somebody that probably prides himself more on holding the ball and being good aerially, his footwork is unbelievable. And he really showed it a lot in the championship. Obviously, from a talent and skill perspective, the championship is not the Premier League. But Pay attention to what he does, and this is to Chelsea fans, to what he does when he has the ball on the ground and his vision and his overall ability to welcome players in. I wish that in many ways he got a few more minutes, but I understand just the the level of talent that Chelsea has. is just too high up for Tammy to do it. But to your point, injuries aside, et cetera, and just because of the overwhelming amount of games that are going to come your way, you're going to need Tammy now more than ever.
0: Well, it's Newcastle week, but I think I want to stay on Aston Villa just a little bit because Luis Miguel Echegaray is an Aston Villa expert even though you don't have Tammy as your loaned in superstar Ross Barkley has been an amazing fit and i think to the surprise of many because i was very curious to see how him and Jack Grealish would play off of each other and it's so far so good for Aston Villa
2: oh absolutely i'm telling you it's like starsky and hutch over here with Ross Barkley and uh, and uh, and Jack Grealish listen Thank you so much for the season <laughs> loan. I wish there was like a clause where we could buy him with an option, but I, I, apparently reportedly there isn't, I think. But it's just been amazing. I think that, listen, sometimes what happens with players, specifically England players, because I'm Peruvian, but I grew up in England. And I actually, I went to college 10 minutes away from Stamford Bridge. So I know I know the area well, and I know... English culture. And sometimes what happens is when you have a player like Ross Barkley, right, who did so well for another club, right, with Everton in this case, and then moving to another club, which, you know, arguably is a bigger club. But what happens is sometimes it's a combination of an inconsistency of management and inconsistency of strategy. And Ross Barkley just really, it was hard for him to fit in in such a dynamic system that Chelsea plays with so much talent as well. And Ross likes to have the ball at his feet. And, you know, actually, he's very similar to Jack like that. But the difference is, is that now because we play such a compact triangle, right, with uh, McGinn on one side, Barkley on the other one, and uh, Douglas Luiz sort of protecting the front two, now Ross has more availability to do what he wants because Jack actually plays a little bit more on the left-hand side. So now he has all this space. To blossom and dean smith likes that he li- when we have the ball he likes that triangle to go up to go back and to sort of play it wide and what you see with ross now especially, you know, in games such as the Liverpool one and, of course, Arsenal, is that he has more freedom to run forward because he's sneakily quick, especially with the ball. And that's what you see now. And it's great to have him, you know, back feeling confident.
1: I wanted to get back to a point that you mentioned as it relates to Tammy Abraham. And it's just kind of like the desire for minutes. Chelsea this season brought in a ton of attacking talent. Christian Pulisic is someone, obviously, as Americans that we're concerned about. But there's so many great players. How do you feel like Chelsea have gotten the balance right of from a system standpoint and from getting all these new signings in to kind of split minutes to a place where kind of everyone can feel happy about it?
2: You know what? First of all, I'm going to apologize to Frank Lampard because I, I said that like by around Christmas time and granted it's not December yet, I said that his job would be done because I think that he's the type of manager that from what I saw on his time with Darby, You know, and I saw him closely, obviously, managing the championship side. I saw limitations. Obviously, Chelsea's a different kettle of fish, but I thought that I look at the squad, I look at the Chelsea side, right? And and it's a good thing that you have me here, guys, right? Because I'm being very neutral here. (laughs) I look at the squad and I say, this is a really good Champions League squad. This is a squad that can really probably do really well in the Champions League beyond the group stages, right? You have like all that continental talent with Kai Havertz, Timo Werner, of course, the man that nobody hates, everybody loves Golo Kanté, sort of in the middle. It's just such a good squad. Premier League-wise, especially in a COVID time, in a season where everything is so weird and everybody's beating everybody and sort of home advantage doesn't mean that anymore, I felt that Frank might be limited. But the table doesn't lie. As I look right now, obviously fifth, right, but only three points from top. Uh, the most goals scored by anybody in the league only conceded 10. So you you, you have this kind of good balance. Where, where I do worry, though, and that's where you meet the halfway mark, is what's going to happen at the back? Now that we're hearing, obviously, that Thiago Silva's not going to play for you, from you obviously, a, a late return from the Brazil game. Kurt sum is doing his thing offensively, but... It, to me, he's still not the finished package. I still need to see more consistency from his end. So I think that in January, it's going to be interesting to see, well, do we bring in another center back and see what we can do at the back? But having said all that, again, I apologize because I thought Chelsea would be struggling more in the league just because it was too much talent for Frank Lampard to try and figure out. But he's proven that thus so far. And I think so far, so good. I think the Champions League is really where I think you can make more, even more of a noise. Because players like Timo Werner like, my God. Like, what a talent. And if we can just nurture that uh, from Chelsea's perspective, then the more the better.
0: And the Champions League is where Frank can sort of really leverage the five subs rule to his advantage. We we haven't seen a tactician really utilize the five subs quite as well as Frank Lampard. And Chelsea really benefited from it during Project Restart. And I think your skepticism, by the way, Luis Miguel, is warranted along that back line just because it was a wide open door previous to Edouard Mendy fixing that. But I, I do think that we should extend Frank Lampard a, a bit more credit, not just as a tactician, but as a talent identifier. People were skeptical about this Ben Chilwell signing. He finally made signings on the free transfer. Thiago Silva is nominated for player of the month. Kurt is all of a sudden better because of the pairing. Maybe there's a language thing, communication. I know Chris Whittingham has had that take. And a young player like Reese James is slowly developing. And where you were counting on Azpilicueta in years past to really anchor a defense, now you have him as a plug-and-play guy. So... Now that he's had a transfer window, it seems as though Frank Lambert is also quite good at identifying talent.
2: Yeah, absolutely. To Ben Chilwell's point, he's the best, you know, he's the best left back in in the league, I think, at this point. Like he's doing so well. And you know, it's it's a good balance as well to your point as well. And obviously his son mason mount doing doing
0: good (laughs) (laughs) that is is fair fair someone might say it's unfair but here in america obviously and it's actually it's funny because jack Grealish, a player that that you support now i see it on the the international stage where it's it's a bit controversial mason mount Where he goes, controversy seems to follow because managers love him. And I would suggest that maybe the managers know a little bit better than us because I always made it a Christian Pulisic thing with Mason Mount. And it was a different winger situation last year. You see now that he's more of a natural midfield there and he's playing better. And Jack Grealish gave voice to it. Your boy. There's nothing going on between those two. Jack Grealish says this player is an important player and really talented.
2: Oh, yeah. Listen, there's nothing against Mason Mount, okay? Like, he's such a good player. But to your point about Pulisic, Pulisic and my friend and guest in Keolasso, Jimmy Conrad, always says that the problem, whenever Pulisic goes down and he's out, he's injured, which is a lot, which is a worry, I think, for American fans. Nobody's denying his talent, but the consistent amount of injuries that happen to him is just not good. But every time he's out... That's another opportunity for Mason Mount to come in and really prove. But there's nothing against him. He's a tremendous player. He's an England international, right? But if you want me to talk about Jack Grealish, you're probably going to need more than a few minutes, okay? <laughs> He's the second coming, all right? So, no, but back, back to Chelsea. I, 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 listen, I think, you, Mike, you said a really good point, which is Lampard is identifying the right talent and when to use them. I mean... We haven't even talked about Ziyech, right? So like that, that's just how rich this squad is. The question is to me is that as always the cliched question, this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. What's going to happen once the Christmas period dies down and what and how can they sustain that? defensively and that to me will be a big key
1: you mentioned the Pulisic thing let's kind of dig into it a bit more just kind of as you know American fans we probably you know I wanted to see him Mike didn't uh, during this international break with the U.S. men's national team because from a Chelsea perspective you kind of are more concerned with a health standpoint but on this health thing I mean it's kind of been the dominant story of this season the restart period was an entirely different one it was obviously how excellent he is where are you kind of feeling about Polisic right now in terms of your level of concern with his long-term status
2: Listen, I think the best answer to that is if Pulisic stayed healthy in that FA Cup final, you win the FA Cup, okay? That's the kind of like influence that this man can have when he's healthy and when he's good he to go. He probably scores on the play that he got injured. In. Correct, right. So the problem to me is, again, this is nothing against his talents. He's unbelievable. 22 years old doing his thing absolutely doing that and then some in the premier league the problem is though that that doesn't matter it doesn't matter if you get hurt if you get injured and you're not there on the pitch to prove it on a consistent basis and that's a problem especially in the premier league when the matches are coming fast and furious especially for chelsea when they have the champions league as well or cup tournaments and that's a problem so u.s men's national team aside I think for Chelsea, it's a big issue. I I don't know if it's just because he's an inverted winger and he loves to drive up people. He's so quick. He loves to turn. He loves to bring people in. I mean, it's just a joy to watch him. That's probably like also an Achilles heel for him because if he was more of a a sort of the young who just sits and watches and passes and moves or whatever, maybe that's different. If he was in the middle, maybe that would be less of an issue for him, but every time he gets the ball, he just wants to drive at you, and it's such a great thing to see, but it's also a catch-22 because it's a reason why he gets hurt, and that's a problem. Pulisic needs to stay healthy in order to not just help Chelsea, but the U.S. as well.
0: Well, he was handed the number 10 jersey by Frank Lampard for a reason, and that's actually pretty illuminating. We haven't really considered, because we've talked about his injury problems a lot here on this podcast. We readily acknowledge to quote the great 21st century philosopher at michael ryan ruiz on twitter (laughs) he has proven to the world what he can do when he is fit but now he needs to prove to the world he can stay fit but his playing style probably does play into those injuries there's a lot of stopping a lot of starting i mean he's relying on those are you robin vibes yeah which is what happened with robin at chelsea as well now robin did find a way for the most part to get healthier After he left Chelsea, so hopefully we don't need Christian Pulisic to leave Chelsea to figure this out, and their training staff was under a bit of a microscope because of all the injuries to N'Golo Kante. I have two quick questions before we let you go, and I've really enjoyed my time with you, and hopefully we'll have you on again before the Aston Villa matchup, but... You're one of these teams that is benefiting from this time, you being an Aston Villa supporter. The Premier League this season is wacky. There are no supporters in the stands. COVID, right now, if you see what's going on with Mo Salah and Kai Havertz, it is certainly imposing its will in a way that it really didn't during Project Restart right now. With all these international breaks, it's only going to be more of a storyline more of a wide-open Premier League than I think we've seen in in recent history. What is your takeaway from this season so far? And can a team like Chelsea and a team like Aston Villa make a surprise run at this title, considering all these things?
2: Well, listen, in terms of the Chelsea run, I think that's more possible than Villa, of course, just historically speaking, right? But, like you know, we've seen Leicester City win this Premier League, guys. Like, anything can happen, right? Uh, I think that the answer to your question is um, I interviewed – Gabi Agbonahor uh, last week, right? Uh, former Aston Villa player, a legend, also played for England. Uh, and I asked him a similar question and his answer uh, is something that I kind of agree with. Everybody, obviously, COVID is an issue. Worrying about the fact that what kind of squad you're going to have. But a really big one that he brought up was to the point about empty stadiums is that aside from the fact that you don't have uh, you know, your home crowd rooting for you and trying to motivate you to do better, you also don't have your home crowd to really get at you when things are going down. And he brings a point where, for example, let's say the Arsenal-Villa game, when Arsenal, you know, were sort of falling apart. What would have happened if you have a full Emirates stadium, just like yelling at Arsenal players? For some, for some members of a team in the Premier League, that might be a motivation i got like 60,000 people like yelling at me right now to do better. I have to do it. I have no choice. Look at Fulham. Craven Cottage, I know it very well. I used to work there. I used to sell tickets there because when I went to college, that was my, that was my little uh, sidekick, right? And Craven Cottage is a beautiful stadium, but it's, it's tiny. And when you're right there, right by the corner flag, and you're watching a player take it, you are right in his face. And if... if what, I bet you any money a loaded, full Craven Cottage will probably give a few wins now to Fulham. So that, to me, is a big takeaway. It's not so much about an empty stadium being an advantage to the away side, which it can be, but it's also a full stadium, a full Stamford Bridge we would probably, like, amp up the team when they're not doing well. Final question for Luis Miguel Echegaray
0: before we uh, run out of time with him. West London in peru they don't really match i'm talking just from a flavor profile standpoint because peruvian (laughs) food is some of my favorite food on this planet i i I imagine it's really hard to find a lomo saltado in fulham for example so what are the struggles here have you found a a place that can give you a good ceviche in the uk
2: well see now you're asking me things that I really want to talk about, right? <laughs> and the fact that you said, Mike, that uh, Peruvian food is the best in the world. Well, now you're officially my best friend because <laughs> finally we understand the truth that it's nothing but facts. Growing up in in the UK, there wasn't that many Peruvian restaurants, but now the growth of Peruvian restaurants, and actually, especially in West London, is really growing as well as many may or may not know, West London is incredible. I mean, London itself, but West London is really multicultural. And the, the amount of restaurants, especially by uh, Portobello Road, like in South London, like pushing up and then going all the way down to, you know, uh, Fulham and Putney and, and, you know, the Chelsea area, more and more restaurants are growing. There's one called Inca, I believe that my sister goes to every time she goes down. She lives in Oxford right now, but she used to live in London. So it's growing, but growing yeah. up, Chris, right you're yeah. right in the zone. We, yeah, just, yeah, we
0: yeah, went yeah, there before the pandemic and look, a man can only have so much peri peri to satisfy <laughs> his marination standards. So, all right. Uh, Peruvian food in West London is a thing. Inca, I think, is the, the place. Yeah.
2: I, I believe so. I have to double check, but I'll DM it. But listen, all you need to do is just Google it and you'll find a lot because the growth in the last seven years has been tremendous. When I was growing up, no, I had to just settle for eating it at home, which is fine because I really didn't trust Brits to do good Peruvian food unless you were like, you know, like me, somebody that was Peruvian and also with an English background and raised there. So that grows. But I'll tell you something right now that it's coming and it's growing and it's, it's a joy to see. And listen. That's all you need. And then before you know it, maybe you get Paulo Herrero to do one season in the Premier League. Maybe you get, you know, Miguel um, Trauco, Lucho, Arvincula. And maybe we get more and more Peruvians coming to London because that would be amazing.
0: Chris, would you like to throw in any other Peruvian soccer players? Just Mario well, so yeah, Pizarro
1: played for you. you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Edison Flores maybe can go and, and have a nice time in the Premier League for a little bit. Yeah,
2: maybe. They have to do better than what they did last night. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Uh, Luis Miguel, thank you so much for taking the time out to join us. We'll talk to you again before the Aston Villa match, and then we'll see how, how fired up you can get. And maybe the title aspirations might increase for you by then, because Villa have been one of the good stories this season and thank you for saying wonderful nice things about Chelsea and Frank Lampard could have done without the Mason Mount thing though Luis
2: Milla <laughs> Mason Mount no it's an absolute pleasure guys thank you for having me but you know if you do bring me back for the Villa Chelsea preview you might get, need to get your lawyers because I'm going to do all kinds curs- of <laughs> swearing and cursing over. it <laughs>
0: Chris Whittingham, an eventful international break. Is there any other kind? Damn it, I would like the other kind because <laughs> always something happens, and it seems as though Ben Chilwell is okay back spasming while with the club. Christian Pulisic, we were thankful with this. What I was hoping for is the American Chelsea fan here to did like not, not see him for the national team. And Greg Burhalter thank you for playing ball for the club that uh, you besmirched. Uh, I have a long memory, my friend, a memory like is, an elephant. D- does this
1: atone for his Chelsea comments, the, the, the big club comments? No,
0: no, <laughs> no. What will atone is more, you know, six goal affairs from the U.S. men's national team against Panama. That was actually cool to see. But I digress. It seems as though, despite Greg Burhalter playing ball, Christian Pulisic will not be available against Newcastle. That's a bummer. Kai Havertz coming off of his battle with COVID-19, not ready for a full match yet. So it seems as though Frank Lampard won't have these two great attacking players not going in once again with your full arsenal of talent against a team like Newcastle. But I think for me, the headliner is because it could have been a lot worse from a health and fitness standpoint is... I want to recognize the greatness of Olivier Giroud because the book on this player, as he, you know, is, is scoring tally in that World Cup that France won, it was always made fun of because you get no goals from your striker doing the dirty work. But here is the guy where the book out on him is that he doesn't score on the international level. He is closing in on Thierry Henry's all-time goal-scoring record for France. I know he he's a little long in the tooth for an international player, but the assumption is, barring injury— Hopefully, he remains fit. He's going to be a part of that national team for France. Why wouldn't he? He's still producing and just such a professional for club and country, doing everything that is asked for him. And by the way he's going to become the most prolific goal scorer in that national team's history, and that's a very good national team.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's Thierry Henry's record. This is uh, one of the best players of the modern era, and it was interesting to kind of hear Didier Deschamps. I think he wants to continue to play Giroud up top. I think he really sees him as an important part of the team, just as, like, you know, you could have played a a better flair player than Blaise Matuidi during the World Cup in 2018, but he's kind of got a few glue guys, chemistry guys, that make the whole thing with Mbappe, Griezmann, Kamavinga, Pogba. All these incredible flair players that France have. you got to have to have some workers, uh, particularly for a manager as pragmatic as Deschamps is. And so Giroud is one of them. But as you mentioned, he's kind of most known for being the striker, the lead number nine for a team that won the World Cup that didn't score a goal at the World Cup. And yet he's kind of closing in on this record. And it'll be interesting if, because Deschamps came out and said he wants Giroud to play more at club level. And I wonder if these international appearances and this work is going to get Giroud more work. You mentioned the international break and some of the injuries. To me, it's interesting coming back if Frank Lampard does rotate more. They're basically going to go their next nine games without ever having a full week off Chelsea. So is Giroud going to get some minutes and kind of... Because every time we've gotten to this point where the French national team manager has come out and said, hey, it's time for Giroud to get more minutes, it's kind of been followed by Giroud getting more minutes. And so I'll be curious if that happens again, even as well as Timo Werner and Tammy Abraham are playing.
0: Let's pivot. Now and start previewing this opponent that has been a bit of a thorn in Chelsea's side. You know me, a PTSD carrying it with me at all times. I hate watching football off of an international break. I hate international breaks and usually the results aren't kind to the top end clubs that have a lot of players out. Now the Premier League has changed some. Newcastle in its own right has some international players. I know that Callum Wilson, there's discussion whether or not he might play in this one. It's looking like he'll he'll give it a go, but a team that is giving us trouble recently here, and I'm always weary off an international break, Chris. But if Chelsea can handle business with a depleted side, as as depleted as you could say, oh ho hum, we're just gonna force Tammy Abraham or perhaps Olivier Giroud, as as we just touted, his goal scoring prowess on the international level, Chelsea still gotta be up for this challenge. An important three points, they're all important at this time, especially with Liverpool being the match unit they are.
1: Let me ask you a question, Mike, because One of the things that we talked so much about last year with Chelsea was when they go up against the defensive side, which we know Newcastle, above any other team in the Premier League, they're going to defend. You're going to have 65% of the ball. Has your mentality changed from last year that now you're confident? going into these kinds of games because I'm drifting more in that direction because you knew Sheffield United was going to come to the bridge and defend hell they even got a 1-0 lead that they could have defended for 85 minutes and Chelsea still ripped them apart and scored four times so I'm feeling more confident about these kinds of games as it relates Chelsea I'm wondering if if you've kind of shifted as well
0: as am I and let me me give voice to that by using a quote from Ben Chilwell because he highlights a player that makes this different Christian Pulisic towards uh, the latter end of the season was a good solution for that hit the combination with him and Giroud work well and breaking teams down but Hakeem Ziyech is a cheat code Ben Chilwell was quoted as saying when you look at Hakeem's ability to find the pass in the final third and zing a 60 yard diagonal pass his passing range is one of the best I have ever seen and his left foot is something else you have a player that can put it on a silver platter for you against these defensive sides and it's just Once again, the overriding takeaway from this transfer season was Chelsea just increased the talent level. You have more players with that special quality that can win you games. They're not usually going to all win you the same game at once. If they do, it is going to be a nasty score. But you just need Hakim Ziyech to have that special quality every other match while Timo Werner and the likes of Tammy Abraham and even Olivier Giroud and Christian Pulisic and Kai Havertz all fill in all the other opportunities. And Hakeem Ziyech I think is a game changer because he'll make tough goals look easy with his pristine service
1: and it's funny because the international break kind of offers a bit more access to some of the players because they're kind of going and doing media locally Reese James also gave an interview to the athletic about the some charity work that he's doing which is probably something we should highlight on on a future episode but he also gave quotes about Hakim Ziyech and about kind of the relationship that they're building down that right hand side it's something we've talked about here's a quote from Adam Crafton's piece in the athletic he said further forward there have been signs with Hakim in, in training ever since he arrived we got on well I knew I'd be playing behind and we clicked early and tried to build this connection in training to use this season, his left foot is just unbelievably good. Everyone talks about Hakim Ziyech's left foot, and I kind of wonder if, like, he might even be better behind the scenes than we've seen even already on the pitch. And what we've seen already on the pitch has been exceptional. So you're right. It's those moments of quality to get into attacking areas. So while Chelsea's record away at Newcastle in recent times has not been very good. I kind of wonder if players like Ziyech and Werner and, you know, Tammy Abraham and Reese James and Chilwell, what they've brought into this squad, make you feel more confident going, we know we're gonna at least going to score a goal or two, and good luck to Newcastle doing that against us.
0: I think that type of service elevates everybody, not just the players on the attacking end that are receiving said service, but also the other players on the team that... Their job is primarily to distribute. I love the conversation that we had with Jenny Chu last week about how Hakeem Zia sort of raises everybody's game. Make sure to check out last week's episode if you want to hear more of that. Let's get into our mailbag before we give our final prediction for this upcoming Newcastle match because I imagine we got some Newcastle questions.
1: Yeah, and it begins with at carefree underscore jam, friend of the pod. Friend of the pod. He tweets, do you fellas believe in bogey teams because Newcastle United away is a banana skin for Chelsea. Mike did you know that uh, in England they don't call it a banana peel? They call it a banana skin?
0: Do they call it bogey or boogie? Because this is a boogeyman team. This is a boogeyman <laughs> side. I, don't, I,
1: don't I, know. I, I, I believe it's a bogey team. Yeah, that's the other really? expression. Is yeah.
0: that a tomato tomato thing?
1: No. Also, the
0: only no one in America calls it tomato. Well, it's
1: it's, people in England call it tomato.
0: (laughs) Right. So did they also originate the cliche? Because I always hate when I I say it all the time. It's not tomato, tomato. But who in our regular life here in America goes? Oh, yeah, I'm at the checkout line. Mm -hmm. Give me a couple beers and uh, oh, tomato. I got three tomatoes. (laughs) It's not really something that you hear.
1: I'm going to do that next time I go to the grocery store. See if I can freak somebody out. But yeah, so Chelsea's record away at Newcastle is. In their last seven Premier League matches at St James's Park, one-one, drawn one, lost five. Which, given that Newcastle has not exactly been world beaters in that period, uh, is a bit of a surprise to me.
0: Yeah, it's very scary <laughs> going up against <laughs> the likes of Newcastle. I like carry last year's result. That was a heartbreaker. Chelsea supporters' club, the the South Florida Blues, they share their flagship bar with the Newcastle supporters. So that was not very fun for I remember me. remember that, was, yeah. I was there for that match. Man, Newcastle has a good ride. I was going to say, I always hate traveling to Goodison Park. Every time we're, we're previewing that episode, I get the shakes. That's pretty bad. But at Sanford Bridge, it's a different story. I would also maybe throw West Ham into that conversation too. Recently, West Ham has given Chelsea loads of trouble what did the sad say? Does this bear out? Can we find a definitive bogey club?
1: I was trying to kind of like find the one where like you just remember, a you know, one bad result or one bad game. But yeah, West Ham uh, in the Premier League gets one win in their last six for Chelsea against West Ham. And then away at Goodison Park uh, in all competitions, including an FA Cup defeat, it's four losses in their last six away. So actually, I think all of those are, are probably correct. I guess it's just kind of, you know, which one, which memory kind of hurts the most. And it's kind of like an experiential thing, but they're kind of all, they all have some, backing to them
0: i would go with go with west ham right now Mm. also london rivals so that that appears to be the tiebreaker and their fans their supporters are usually the most vocal in my mentions whenever they get one over on chelsea so i'm gonna go with west ham but i have ptsd Traveling to Goodison Park, and because the Toon Army shares its flagship bar with the South Florida Blues, <laughs> that's never fun.
1: Yeah, you, you never want to be in the in the co-supporters bar. I was with you on that day, and I remember just like—and and this is why I asked you the question, because the, the most— strong feeling I remember about that day is. I think Chelsea could have been out there for 270 minutes and not scored a goal in that game. It just felt like they weren't getting anywhere near scoring a goal, and that feeling has changed so much. But that was, like, such the standout memory from that game for me.
0: My standout memory from that game was it didn't matter how the entire game was going to go. I knew once it got late, Newcastle was just going to find a way to break my heart. Thankfully, it did come back to bite Chelsea in the end, and Chelsea still finished top four. But in that moment, it felt like, oh... This could be a season-ender.
1: And one more question, Mike, comes from Neil and Sports. Tweeted this to you, and he says, What do you think of Aspilicueta's future at the club? Looks like with James Chilwell and Silva rounding into form, always good to have depth, but will the playing time deter him? Now, the Chilwell injury does kind of factor into this conversation. Look, given the busy fixture period, I think everyone's going to get a chance to play here, including Aspilicueta. But he went from basically an every-week starter for seven years to now there isn't that obvious route into the team anymore.
0: This one's tough, because I want dave to say with chelsea forever (laughs) i i love this player and i i kind of feel like it's almost as if the more his role is limited the more appreciated he's starting to become by chelsea supporters because i know this is a player that was a bit polarizing over the last few years I, i never really got it always says yes always does the versatile thing, whatever the manager wants. The only thing that you could maybe criticize him was he could have taken a more engaged role when sorry, and uh, Keppa had their thing at the Carabao final. But like, we are nitpicking at this point from being on the road with Chelsea, from seeing what a captain is actually supposed to do. This was something that was lost on me in my American ignorance. I had no idea all the additional responsibilities a captain, a true leader, has. And I was blown away. By his leadership, if he's there and the task is to educate himself and his teammates about something as horrible as a holocaust, he will learn it. He will make sure his teammates learn about it the same way he'll go on the training grounds and make sure players are in the right position. There's a player that's slightly older. There's a player that, for whatever reason, well, the reason is the greatness of that Spanish generation I know he made the the World Cup squad, but he was sort of always on the outside looking in. Couldn't get regular playing time for the national team. It seems as though that ship has come and sailed for Aspelicueta. I don't know. I'm sure he's a competitor, and he wants to be out there more. I really hope he is fine with this role, because if he is, I want to hold on to him as long as possible. I love Aspy.
1: 100% agree, and I think it's just kind of you have Reese James coming through, and if they're not going to play out of a back three, to me, like... Azpilicueta's ideal position is as the right of a back three right like I kind of wonder if Antonio Conte had taken him like he would have continued to kind of be that that week in week out starter but kind of in the modern era of a back four if you're going to play right back then you've got to really join in the attack and provide what Reese James provides and if you're going to play as a center back he's going to have a, bi- a bit more pace and a bit more size and stature so like he just kind of is that in-between player but can play every position in the back line and I think he will be needed this season because there's going to be injury there's going to be COVID there's Going to be, you know, a a run of fixtures. These guys that might not be playing now, Giroud's, your Aspies, even your Emerson's, you know, because Chilwell looks like he's locked down a position, they're going to be needed at some point in the season.
0: You mentioned Antonio Conte. Really great article from Matt Law. And I know he contributes often to our friends over at London is Blue. Seek that out because Antonio Conte, polarizing figure, I loved his passion. He was one of my favorite managers. At the time, when he was with Chelsea, I mean, really ingratiated himself to Chelsea supporters with his emotion and a tremendous run, the league title, but it ended in controversy and it ended with Willian putting trophy emojis over him in his Instagram story. Even on his way out, he won a trophy, but he gave voice to what Chelsea supporters like myself have believed and even neutrals like yourself, Chris, can agree on. Chelsea have one of, if not the best owners in all of sports.
1: And he gave voice to something that I thought was really interesting, because we don't get much insight into Roman Abramovich, keeps a low profile as owner of Chelsea. Uh, And he says, so here's the quote, I think you must accept and and I keep good memories with Chelsea, with Mr. Abramovich, who is a very passionate man for his football. It was incredible, especially in my first season, because he was very, very close to me, asking me about my football and my ideas. Many times he came to the training ground to meet me, and I remember he wanted to watch the video about our game and our preparation the way we wanted to face the opponent. Right. And like for an owner to be involved at that level and also like give the manager like the freedom to like keep on doing what you're doing. Like I want that information. I'm not going to give a value judgment about it. And for the manager who probably is very private and secretive to let an owner into that process, that had been a fairly unique relationship and, and a really cool insight into a man we know not very much about.
0: I sincerely hope this is step one towards repairing that relationship between Antonio Conte. And Chelsea FC, because, I mean, it ended in controversy and litigation. It got really ugly there. For him to say something positive about Chelsea and its ownership, hopefully we can maybe eventually get ourselves in the direction where Chelsea can welcome back this manager, honor him, do some of the token things that you see legendary managers do for other clubs. I really hope that ice thaws between the two parties. All right, it's prediction time, Chris and we previewed this match a little bit in highlighting some of the COVID issues and the travel-related delays. Obviously, Thiago Silva, that's a, that's a big question mark. Ben Chilwell with the back spasms. Too many questions for me entering this. It's not Chelsea's best shot. However, we have a club in Chelsea that have gotten results fairly easily without giving you their best shot. I like my chances a little bit better because Akeem ish is fit, right? He's there I think this one's going to be low scoring. I think this one's going to be ugly. I might change my mind depending on what the lineups are, depending on what the fitness is for a club like Newcastle, because at the time of recording, I still have plenty of un- unanswered questions. So, for the moment, my play predictor prediction. Make sure to head over to the official Chelsea Fiststand app where you can play the play predictor match game and win great prizes. I did that so well. So well. Many are saying this. My prediction is a 1-1 draw.
1: Ooh. I'm gonna go for Chelsea Two, Newcastle, nil. I think Chelsea are now in a stage where I'm not worried about them going into these kinds of games, like they have Leeds in a couple of weeks. It'll be curious to see how they play in a game like that that we know Leeds are going to be open. They're going to try and attack Chelsea, but in a game like Newcastle. I'm comfortable with Chelsea now in these kinds of games. For me, the the Burnleys, the Newcastles, the Fulhams, the West Broms, the Sheffield Uniteds, the games that in years past you year would have been concerned about, I'm not anymore. I think Chelsea are going to take care of business here, and you'll really kind of make or break yourself in the league against you know the Tottenhams, the Leeds, uh, the Arsenals, the Cities, and and the teams that you know, are up towards the top. But I think you're going to start to, like we just mentioned Antonio Conte, his first season, they mowed down all those teams in the bottom 14 like it was easy, week in and week out. I think Chelsea's kind of heading back into that territory I'm, I'm, I'm feeling confident about it
0: this is a dynamic between us you're neutral so you're just taking this for its face value and you're like yeah no problem newcastle's not very good and, and chelsea yeah. seem to be hitting their stride and this is me bringing the emotion into it i'm scared of this matchup right now because i'm always scared off an international break against a lesser opponent and now you add injuries to the mix and players not being available i'm worried about it and i really hope that i'm wrong because you should hope that in the listening audience that I'm wrong because I'm going to be insufferably <laughs> high on title aspirations if Chelsea find a way to get all three from this matchup because that is a sea change for Chelsea. That is Getting three points in this match, that's something what title contenders do right there. Mm-hmm. So if they can do it, then we can just continue to ramp up title talk here on Chelsea Mic'd Up. Thank you so much for listening to us. Once again, thanks to Luis Miguel Echegaray. Now I'm starting to get it, Woody. It's a, yeah, it's a fun name it. to say. Yeah, you got it. nailed it. It's a fun name to say. Uh, <laughs> thank you to you, the listener, for supporting what we do. We understand. There's a lot of great Chelsea podcasts out there. We are humble in our thanks To you for making us, even if it's merely a part of your weekly Chelsea listening regimen, we much appreciate that. And we would greatly appreciate a subscription and a rating and a review. Give us five stars on your platform of choice. We will be back with you next week. And also on the horizon, Chris Whittingham, we may have our first emergency pod of the season because, you know, I take it up to another level come Tottenham Match Week. And that's on the horizon. So get ready for that. Lots of good content. We've been promised. I don't want to get the the listeners too excited, but a Chelsea first-teamer, we've been in discussions. It seems as though we're going to have another interview in the works with a Chelsea first-teamer here in the coming week, so you don't want to miss out. Make sure to subscribe because you get all those episodes first. Get that alert and listen to it as soon as it drops. We'll talk to you next week. Till then, up the Chels.